1: From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in a moment, Fulton County Elections Director Richard Barron gives an update regarding early voting and talks about accountability amid that investigation into alleged shredding of voter registration forms.
0: My hope is that they are, and just, just based on what I do know, I'm hoping that these were either illegible applications or duplicates or, I mean, the that would reduce the likelihood that it was a new voter that was registering.
1: Plus, from Emory University, Professor Lauren McCullough is studying why the outcomes for black women with breast cancer, they're so much worse than white of their white counterparts despite socioeconomic status now those important community conversations are coming up in just a moment but first this jury selection begins today for the trial of three men accused of chasing and killing ahmaud arbery it's been more than a year and a half since the 25 year old black man was shot as he jogged through a coastal georgia neighborhood we turn to wabe's lisa hagan for more the first batch of more than 1,000 potential jury members are due in glenn county court monday Father and son Greg and Travis McMichael face murder charges along with their neighbor William Roddy Bryan, who filmed the deadly encounter in February 2020. The three white men remained free for weeks after killing Arbery. A former district attorney was indicted last month for her handling of the case, which allegedly included telling people not to arrest Travis McMichael. Cobb County prosecutors were appointed to
3: lead the state's case last year. Defense attorneys say the shooting was in self-defense. Lisa Hagan, WABE News.
1: In other news, we're entering the second week of early voting for the November City elections. Raul Bally reports voters in a number of counties are not just picking candidates, but they're also casting ballots on a range of referendums.
4: In Fulton County, voters are being asked to extend a 1% sales tax for their school districts for five years. Also, Fulton County residents who live outside the city of Atlanta are voting whether to continue their three quarters of a percent sales tax for transportation projects. Those include walking and biking trails, along with congestion relief. In Henry County, voters are considering a new one percent sales tax for transportation. Voters in Cobb, DeKalb, and Forsyth counties are all deciding on five year extensions of their 1% sales tax for schools. Early voting and absentee voting is now underway. Election day is November the 2nd. Raul Bally, WABE News.
1: Finally, raise your hand, unless you're driving, if your favorite sports team won this past weekend. It was a very good weekend. The Atlanta Braves are now up two games to none of the Los Angeles Dodgers in the National League Championship Series. Games three and four will be out in L.A. And how about them UGA Bulldogs, still undefeated and still ranked number one in the AP College football poll. The Dogs beat Kentucky in a highly anticipated matchup that really wasn't, but hey. And also winning this homecoming weekend, the Maroon Tigers of Morehouse College won. I totally love this headline from FanNation.com. Morehouse dismantles Fort Valley and celebrates homecoming victory. Also, the Kennesaw State Isles, they keep winning. They beat North Carolina, at and Good weekend for all. That's the kind of news that we bring here on Closer Look. Sports, good stuff. That's what we do. Coming up in a moment, we'll bring you the conversation with Fulton County Registration and Elections Director Richard Barron. And just to let you know, you're listening to Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. So let's take a moment, just for a second, bear with me. Let's be honest about something. You've heard a fundraiser like this one we're in right now in the past. Just hang with me. But, and this is key, have you ever thought, one day I'll I'll go ahead and donate? I'm going to suggest today be that day. And here's why. Because right now, we are in the first, last, and only match for Closer Look. That's for the entire fundraiser. So when you give right now at wabe.org slash donate, your gift will go further. And I'll tell you why, because our director of on air fundraising Reggie Hicks is going to tell you. That's why. <laughs> Reggie, welcome. Congratulations <laughs> thank, to your Georgia Bulldogs. Got thank your you, Georgia Rose. Bulldog hat Absolutely, on?
2: Absolutely, I'm representing this afternoon, uh, whatever. this evening. <laughs> 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 got to get all the day parts in. I got you. But yeah, you know, Rose, we're really excited about this match because uh, it, it works simply like this. Our cornerstone members and these are our major donors, they give $1200 or more. And and by the way, you can be one of those individuals as well. And they've come together, folks like Molly Burke and and Peggy and Kevin Gallagher and Derek Jackson. And they've said, you know, we want to do something special and we want to do it around Closer Look. So every contribution, every donation that comes in is matched by this Cornerstone Group. And that's why this is so important that you give us a call right now at 678-553-9090 or go to wab.org slash donate, or you can upgrade your sustainer. Uh, If you are a sustainer, you can also upgrade at wab.org slash upgrade and make that contribution so that it will be matched. $10 a month, right? That's $120 a year. Mm -hmm. That $120 will be matched by uh, Cornerstone Society. So this is an exciting time, and like you said, this is the only time during the campaign that we're doing this.
1: And a reminder, if you make a donation during our 7 p.m. rebroadcast the match donation still counts, correct?
2: That is absolutely right.
1: All right. It's easy, folks. 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. And as always, thank you.
0: My name is Mike Rundle. I live in Atlanta right off Centennial Olympic Park. Why I appreciate Closer Look is that it deals with Local issues primarily around I find like quality, fairness, racism, and understanding how our city is trying to deal with those issues or could deal with those issues. I learned stuff that I don't get perspective on anywhere else.
1: Thank you, Mike, from Atlanta. We really appreciate it. Those issues impact life across the country and right here in Atlanta every day, as we all all know. And, you know, Reggie, to be an informed citizen, you need to understand how your community is responding or not responding to all those things that Mike talked about. You need an independent community-focused community program like, well, Closer Look, to provide that insight. But that only happens with support your support, you out there listening. So keep the information flowing with your contribution to WABE right now. You can give at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. We'll walk you through the process. And as always, thank
2: you. You know, Rose, I'm, I'm always just astounded uh, how this thing called public media works. When you think about it, 84% of funding comes from the Atlanta community. And that is one by one. You're listening right now. You're going to the phone. You're going to the website. You're you're making that contribution, which then is invested back into the program. So uh, you think about $10 a month as a sustainer. That's $120 a year. You can make a one-time contribution. Uh, We encourage you to become a sustainer because it's just easy for you to do and it's affordable. But again, like you said, we need a service like this. And, and I'm so proud of you.
1: Uh, you know, you and I go back
2: a long way. Uh, I tune in just about every day to listen to things that I cannot hear anywhere else. And when I, when I learned so, I've learned so much about what's happening in the city and also what's available here in the city you you, you, you bring a lot of, of different opportunities and grants and things like that and i think you you know it's not just about informing but also about helping people and that's what you do when you make that investment by giving us a call at 678-553-9090
1: you know, Reggie, it's very interesting. You said we go back a long way. We've been involved in public media since, I go back since 1999. You go back a little bit further.
2: Just a little, right? <laughs> Your season.
1: But also that's a commitment that we've made, not only to our craft as journalists, but also to the commitment we've made to this community because we've stuck with it. And if you're listening right now and thinking, I'm not certain I'm ready to commit to a monthly gift to WABE, I totally understand that. If a one-time gift, is what works for you right now, we get it and we appreciate it. So choosing the amount to give and how often to give, well, we'll leave that to you. So now remember, your gift is how we pay for programs like Closer Look, like City Lights. I call her Low. Y'all call her Lowest, but we have that. I can call her Low. Right, right. And I call Mr. Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) You can make your contribution. It's so easy online at wabe.org slash donate. And as always, thank you.
3: It's Audie Cornish from NPR, and have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. Think of all the spontaneous buys you've made this year already. Clothes you maybe wore once, gadgets you haven't quite figured out how to use... You already get so much out of public radio, so go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thanks.
2: And thank you, Audie. And we want to thank you as well for giving us a call or going to the website. You know, Rose, we still have that challenge that's on the table thanks to our Cornerstone members. So you have an opportunity to double your contribution up to... $3,500 during uh, this particular time. This is the only time we're going to have this match during the entire campaign. So we want want you to get involved and to double your efforts when you give us a call or if you go online and make that contribution at wabe.org slash donate.
1: Again, that's wabe.org slash donate or by calling 678-553-9090. We'll walk you through the process. And as always, we say thank you. Coming up next... That conversation with Fulton County Director of Elections, Richard Barron. Support
0: for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF
1: And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, and as always, I'm Rose Scott. The 2020 presidential election cycle produced a record number of folks taking advantage of early voting. Of course, the pandemic was a major influence in that regard. Well, we know the pandemic continues and early voting recently got underway in Fulton County and it will end on the 29th. Now, there's also early voting on specific Sundays. So check the website so that you don't show up and they're not open. Richard Barron is Fulton County's director of registration elections. We spoke earlier today to talk about developments in the alleged shredding of nearly 300 voter registration forms. But we begin our conversation with an update on early voting.
0: Early voting's been smooth so far. We have we have 24 locations open. They are um, open nine to six, all the way through October 29th. And we're open, uh, that includes both Saturdays and Sundays of the early voting period.
1: Any idea if the weekend voting has been a little bit attractive to folks and, and getting folks out to vote? We had
0: almost 3,600 people vote over the weekend. Um, Sunday was, oh, just short of 1,500. So we are, um, some people vote on the weekend, but we are busier during the week.
1: And Director Barron, to your knowledge, any issues, any concerns at polling locations? Have folks called in with some issues?
0: We've, um, usually, everything seems to be running smooth for early voting, which is, normally the case for us we try to have as many locations as we can spread around the county in order to provide access to everyone um, from the south part of the county to the north
1: no shortage of poll workers at any location no no long lines
0: no we've had no lines the ballots are very short and we have enough equipment and check-in stations at each of the
1: uh sites And folks, as long as they are a registered voter in Fulton County, they can cast a ballot at any Fulton location, polling location, correct?
0: For an early voting, you can cast a ballot at any location. But on Election Day, this time because of Senate Bill 202, if you vote out of precinct before 5 o'clock, your ballot will not count if you choose to vote provisionally out of precinct have to vote in your precinct on election day. After five o'clock, there is an exception, but Senate bill two zero two essentially prohibits provisional voting for out of precinct voters up until five o'clock. And that is a big change.
1: So just want to be clear. It's after five o'clock and you are at the wrong voters at the wrong polling location. They won't even get a provisional ballot as in the past.
0: Uh, after 5 o'clock, a voter will, but they have to sign an, an affidavit that that swears that they are unable to make it to their polling location in the amount of time that's allotted.
1: But will their will vote be counted?
0: After 5 o'clock, if they're out of precinct, yes. Before 5 o'clock, they have to go to their own precinct uh, to vote.
1: In terms of absentee ballots, is it too late to request a ballot for the November 2nd elections?
0: Voters can request an absentee ballot up until October 22nd, which is this Friday. And then, but they can return them until November 2nd on Election Day. Voters have until 8 p.m. to get them in if they live in the city of Atlanta, 7 p.m. if they live outside of the city of Atlanta.
1: What's the postmark deadline here?
0: Uh, Well, November 2nd, you have to have it in by November 2nd. Even if you postmark it and we receive it, if if you postmark it before November 2nd, but we receive it after November 2nd, the ballot will not count. Now the access to to the eight drop boxes goes away on October 29th. We had 38 drop boxes around Fulton County last year. Now we only have eight Senate Bill 202 essentially made drop boxes useless um, because they are only accessible now from nine to six in eight of our early voting locations and they we used to have more than half the people use those to return their ballots and because they were open 24 7.
1: Fulton County drop boxes were reduced to eight from 38. Yes. What's the number of registered voters in Fulton County?
0: We have over eight hundred and fifty thousand.
1: And only eight drop boxes. Yes. And if they are inside a building, once that building closes, folks cannot drop off right. their ballot.
0: Right. They're only accessible from nine to six. When during our early voting hours is all that they're accessible. They were they were surveilled uh, by Fulton Police last year, live, twenty four seven. Uh, by cameras, and now they're only available inside the early voting polling location.
1: Okay. Director Barron, let's shift for a moment. I want to talk about this incident in terms of what you can share. Do you know the exact number of those voter registration forms allegedly shredded by the now-fired two-county elections employees? It looks like
0: it's 333.
1: Were these recent forms, old forms? What can you tell me?
0: They. It looks as though they were form. They were paper forms that were um, submitted in the months uh, month of September and October. They are, and we we gave all the evidence to the district attorney's office. We also reported this to the Secretary of State's um, investigative unit to have them come in and look at it. Uh, in order for those to um staff members to be investigated to make sure that because we we are investigators here so we wanted uh, the district attorney and the the investigative unit of the sos to work in on this
1: did you speak with the two employees about the incident yes was it I an did. accident was know. it intentional
0: um, uh, I'm unsure. And so I'm leaving it up to the D.A. at this point to find out what the motivation was and why it may have happened.
1: Did they have an explanation?
0: Um, nothing that I can share. No. I mean, they they denied it.
1: They denied they shredded the forms or they denied yeah. it was intentional.
0: They denied shredding. them.
1: Well, somebody shredded them, right? you have cameras that show them shredding the forms
0: um i'm not really sure what i can share at this point
1: has this ever Uh, happened before director baron
0: no not not that not of which we're aware i mean i i think the, the key thing here is that we had um there were three employees that reported this as soon as they became suspicious of it, and I think you know that's one of the checks the other is that we we checked these batches out in batches of a hundred, so we're able to determine what um, was missing and then we we turned over the a bag of evidence to the d a
1: so they could face criminal charges these two former employees
0: I would imagine so. Yes, I'm not sure what the penalties are under the statutes for those for that type of um, infraction, but um, I would imagine that it's serious it's destroying the its government document.
1: I spoke with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on this program last week. He stated his office would be willing to work with you all if, if this is a training issue, but he also said accountability lies with Fulton County you accept all of that
0: we well yeah we i mean we are accountable for that and that's exactly why they were terminated as soon as this was discovered and i think it's credit to our other staff members who reported to their supervisors right away and then we we made sure that we were transparent and accountable by not only reporting it to the district Attorney's anti corruption unit, but also to the Secretary of State's investigators.
1: So 330, you said? 330 registration forms. Don't know if the former employees did them, but we know they were shredded because that's what they said. They didn't do it. But if someone has submitted a voter registration form, how will they know that theirs wasn't shredded? Is there a backup? If someone's listening to this program, they said, hey, I submitted. My voter registration form in September. What do I need to do?
0: Most of the applications we receive are online. So these are these were submitted. This would be limited to people that submitted applications in September and uh, early October by via paper application that they mailed it in.
1: But still, whether they mailed it in or online, if they were shredded.
0: Backup is that if they go to the polls to vote, they know they did this and they, they can vote a provisional ballot and then we can do further investigation. And hopefully what will happen is that the district attorney's office or a secretary of state's office will be able to piece these shredded documents back together. Um my hope is that they are and just just based on what i do know i'm hoping that these were either illegible applications or duplicates or i mean the that would reduce the likelihood that it was a new voter that was registering
1: well that's what you hope but you just don't know
0: right? It's, you know i mean at this point that's the best that i can hope for but no i don't
1: do we know if this batch was from a particular district location?
0: Basically what happens is all these mailed in applications they go the majority of them go to the mail room at the Secretary of State's office. They are just put into a box. they come over here to our mail room. We put them into batches of one hundred and then they go up and they're they're checked out by registration officers for processing
1: you have some concerns that let's say there's a a contest i'm just throwing it out here a school board district election and the difference is 12 votes something like that whatever can you understand a candidate saying well how do i know someone might have voted for one to vote for me you have no, concerns no, that this is going to cause yeah, not, a whole lot of problems down the road after November 2nd.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's why we turned it over to the authorities to, to investigate this, to make sure that, that it is uh, the people that, that did this are held accountable and that hopefully they can piece these forms back together and we can get them processed.
1: So, again, just to be clear, Director Barron, these voter registration forms were not put in the system. They basically just were shipped over to you. From- that is
0: what we understand. Um, that is what we suspect. It is possible that these were processed, but it, I, I think it's unlikely.
1: Mm. What's the lesson it's, here? It's really
0: unfortunate. I mean, it was shocking to hear this. Yeah. Um, and Disappointing. Um, i don't understand the motivation i think the other staff members that reported it were uh, stunned by it as well were these longtime
1: employees it. can you tell me that
0: a couple years
1: what's the lesson here then for you all is there one well
0: yeah well i think i think for for everyone involved we we just have to be diligent in making sure that the processes are in place, so that it's it's easy to to go back and count these these um, applications. And so that's why we we have them checked out in batch numbers. There's a certain number in each batch, and they are checked out and checked back in. and uh, we can track it we there there's probably some additional things we're going to do to make sure that they're tracked even tighter now than before we've also limited access to uh, the shredders because there are certain documents that or certain pieces of paper that we do have to get rid of most of most almost everything we save for two years for mm-hmm. retention purposes but there are a few things here and there that that need to go into the shredder rather than into the garbage. And so, but those have the access to those have been removed and they, they will be put into a drop box and only the management um, can okay those.
1: And finally, Director Barron, November 2nd, weeks away. How confident are you on that day? that You mentioned everything now is going smoothly, as you put it, that it will continue.
0: Well, I think we're going to see exactly what we saw at the polling places in November and January and August and September and December last year, which was um, short lines and quick process.
1: Short lines, even at Adamsville.
0: In um, we we really didn't have have any lines on election day um, last year, except in the June election. I mean, we had almost we have eighty eight percent of our voters in November voted before election day. We only we only had a um, we had just under 50,000 people vote on election day in November the, the many of the precincts were almost empty on election day November 3rd last year and November uh, January had a little bit higher election day turnout um, but we uh, we had few lines in January as well
1: oh, for the runoffs
0: yes the lines were in June last year.
1: Richard Barron is Fulton County's Director of Registration and Elections. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it, as always. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: And Close Look continues now in just a moment. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice NPR. I'm Rose Scott. That is Atlanta's own outcasts. And like this incredible duo of Andre 3000 and Big Boy, well, you know what? You're a duo. WABE relies on its listeners like you. And right now, I've got to take a moment to thank those who are donating to WABE and for supporting Closer Look right now. Also, your gift not only funds Closer Look for now. We've got about uh, a little bit over 20 minutes remaining. We're in a cornerstone match and here with more on how this work is our, how this works is our director of on air fundraising Mr. Bulldog himself Reggie Hicks <laughs> Reggie welcome.
2: Thank you Rose I'm honored to be here and uh, again great great story by the way that we just came out of and you know that's what you're making that investment when you give us a call or you go to the website wab.org/donate and, Rose, as you mentioned, our Cornerstone members are, are those individuals that have given $1,200 or more, some uh, one-time contributions, others have become sustainers at $100 or more a month. And you can do that as well and join them because this match basically is when you make a $120 contribution or if you make that $1,200 contribution, mm-hmm. it will be matched up to $3,500 by our Cornerstone members. So you can double what you're giving right now, double your investment, and you're making that investment, and in, obviously, in Closer Look, All Things Considered, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and Rose, one of in your favorites, right? Jazz yes. and blues <laughs> with it. Ace Johnson. You should see me Friday
1: yeah. and Saturday dancing around the house. Well, yeah. no, you shouldn't see me. No,
2: no, no, maybe not. And but, singing. singing along, and singing, too. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah Billy yeah.
1: Holiday and Dinah Washington and... That's what it's all about. I'm all in there.
2: It's the diversity, and that's what you're making uh, your contribution in that investment. You know, the match is just not for now. It's also tonight uh, during the rebroadcast. So uh, you have an opportunity, but we want you to do it right now. Take a moment. Go to wab.org slash donate, or you can give us a call at 678-553-9090.
3: I'm Sarah McCammon, and before I was a national correspondent, I worked at three different NPR stations. I still visit colleagues around the country now and work with them to cover breaking news. Wherever you go in the U.S., there's an NPR station waiting for you. That's only possible because people like you donate. So support your home station now. Here's how.
1: It's easy. 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate and of course as you know here in Atlanta your home station is wabe closer look conversations very important conversations we have every day we're about to have another one as it relates to breast cancer you know we've been serving Atlanta for over 70 years and we've been with NPR since the very early days so right now your financial gift will move us forward again you can make your first ever gift at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you.
2: You know, Rose, I've uh, been listening to the station for over 35 years, um, and I started listening when I was two years old. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is a testament to uh, what uh, WABE has has done and continued to do in this community and it's made possible by you and thousands of others that have gone to the phone, gone to the website and make and made that contribution maybe it's a, a ten dollars a month as a sustainer or twenty dollars a month as a sustainer, or maybe you can join us as a cornerstone member at a hundred dollars a month whatever's affordable to you now is the time for you to make that contribution because Rose, you know eighty four percent of what it takes to keep uh, the station on the air 24-7 comes from the Atlanta community. So we're, we're asking you right now, don't put it off, don't procrastinate. Invest in everything you love on WABE with a generous contribution right now in, in support of Closer Look and all the other programs by going to wabe.org slash donate or giving us a call at 678-553-9090.
1: And remember, we're in this cornerstone match. And listen, if you're listening to the evening broad- rebroadcast of Closer Look, don't worry. Please know we're still matching gifts up to $3,500 there as well. So please, as the as you heard Reggie, please give as generously as you can right now at wabe.org slash donate. Or give us a call, 678-553-9090. And thank you so much. And as mentioned, this is Closer Look, and I am Rose Scott. You know, each year we talk about breast cancer, and we, we think it's important. It's an important conversation to have, and we're going to have another one right now. Joining me is Emory Professor and Breast Cancer Epidemiologist Lauren McCullough, and she's conducting a county-level mapping exercise here in the state. Why? Where well, we're going to find out. Professor McCullough, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, uh, I was reading uh, and I've been reading this that obviously when the, in the height of the pandemic, there were a lot of annual screenings that were had to be put off, had to be sidelined because of the pandemic and, and mammograms were one of them. Um, what does that say to you now? I also read that we're probably rebounding, that those screen, screenings are on the rebound as more folks and particularly we're talking about women here are going to get those screenings. How important is that? What do you want listeners to know?
3: Yeah, screening for breast cancer is, is incredibly important for making sure we're able to catch the cancers early. Um, and so if, if you're screened and you have a cancer and it's early stage, you know, the five-year survival is 99%. Um, if you wait and you have a later stage breast cancer, like a distant stage, the survival goes down to about 25%. So really getting in and getting those screenings done so that they're timely has a huge impact on survival.
1: And before we get into your research, I understand that studying cancer disparities and epidemiology is is personal for you.
3: It is. It is. I I lost my father um, as a college student to cancer. And it's um, one of the main reasons that I focus on cancer as a health outcome. Um, I think as African-Americans, we tend to have poorer prognosis than other race and ethnic groups and really trying to understand why and to do something about it um, so that we live is is really the reason that I got into this work.
1: I'm gonna quote you here. You said cancer disparities have traditionally been studied in silos, such that one group looks at biological factors while another investigates the social or environmental drivers. You said you and your research team, you hope to integrate those areas so we can better respond to how people live and experience the world. Take that further for our listeners.
3: Absolutely. Um, so when, when we're trained, um, generally we are trained in those silos. Um, as a molecular epidemiologist, I learned about the genetics and epigenetics of, of the genome and carcinogenesis and what pathways are being changed. Um, and that largely has to do with the tumor itself, and it's important because that's how we um, we treat people based on those tumor markers. But what was less, I think, taught to me as I was going through my training is how the everyday environment and what people experience really impacts carcinogenesis, um, and that is cancer progression. And so, you know, the fact that you live in an environment that um, is obesogenic, and so you have a high body mass index, or you know, you live in an environment that's high stress. Um, stress impacts inflammation, which impacts cancer progression. Mm-hmm. And so not only understanding what's happening with the tumor itself, but understanding the things that are happening in every every day lived experiences and how that can impact the tumor is important.
1: So those quality, quality of life, those everyday factors that we all experience and we all experience at a different level and could be someone living at the poverty level, someone that doesn't have a- access to adequate health care. Education, all of that, transit and mobility, housing, which is what we talk a lot about on this program. All those factors. This is at the intersection of of kind of what you're able to map or what you're studying to map. Is that correct?
3: Yes. So, you know, we can look at things um, that are biologic. So we look at how fat tissue in the breast um, changes, how people can respond to treatment all the way to how living in a historically red line neighborhood impacts cancer mortality. Women that live in redlined neighborhoods are 60% more likely to die. And so we look at everything from the biologic to the social.
1: For listeners that may not be familiar with that terminology, redlining, tell them about it.
3: Yeah, it's historic, um, comes from the New Deal. And um, basically these maps were created in metro areas around the country um, where banks used them to decide where they were going to invest or not invest. Um, And so not only was it used for a, a method of real estate and, um, you know, deciding where people would live, but also it dictated where grocery stores were built, Mm -hmm. where green spaces and parks were built. And so the neighborhoods are um, largely influenced by this, these laws that happened in the 1930s. Um, And they were, it was outlawed in the 1960s, but still continues to this day in, in in certain
1: forms. So that this county-level mapping exercise that you all are doing in Georgia, are you looking at all those factors? And so far, are you able to come up with any type of assessment?
3: Right. So it's early on in the research, but what we thought was our group is really um, trying to understand breast cancer disparities. Why are Black women more likely to die? Um, And Georgia has, you know, a lot of counties, a lot of heterogeneity across the state. And so just trying to understand, are there pockets where Um, Black women are doing worse than white women in other pockets where maybe they're not and trying to understand the landscape. Um, So we do find that these historically redlined areas like um, Columbus, like Atlanta, like Savannah um, have huge disparities, Black-white disparities in cancer outcomes. So we do think that is one possible Um, mechanism for why disparities um, exist and persist even today.
1: So even disparities, let's say, if you're talking about an urban community or a Southern or more more rural community, but then sub pockets inside of those communities as well.
3: Correct. Yeah. And so it's, it's really understanding what's happening in those sub pockets, really seeing um, what could be a driver in one place may not be a driver in another place. And really if we're going to create interventions to reduce disparities, we have to know what's happening in these different counties and what's going to work and, and what's frankly not going to work.
1: And you say, look, this is occurring between Black women and, and their white counterparts, despite socioeconomic outcomes. So whether someone is at one level in terms of the, the their income or another level, you still see this disparity between the two races.
3: Yes. and And I think that's an important takeaway and one that most people are shocked about, that when we looked at high income black women or women living in high income areas, they still are twice as likely to die compared to their white counterparts living in those same neighborhoods. And so it's not just about income, it's not just about do you have insurance, there are other factors that are making these differences. Some of them are historic, a lot of them are biases in our medical care system, Mm -hmm. Um, but really taking all of that and understanding and understanding how biologically that affects the tumor um, is really sort of the emphasis of our research.
1: Professor, how do you all map this on a county level then? How How does exactly does this work?
3: Um, So without getting um, into too many details, we we basically have information on women um, across the state of Georgia from our cancer registries. um, And we know who was diagnosed and who died. And so on a county by county basis, we can map um, standardized mortality ratios. Some counties there aren't any black women and in some counties there aren't very many white women. And so we have to do some borrowing of information from neighboring counties. but we are able to largely get this information through our cancer registries.
1: And then how long do you think you just anticipate when you get all this, you're able to analyze it and then produce this information?
3: Right. So um, we've actually been at this for about 18 months now. It takes it takes some time and we're continuing to go back and revise and refine. Um, but we have community partners throughout the state who we go to and we say, you know, does this make sense? Does this seem like this is what's happening where you live? And our goal is to talk to stakeholders within those communities and understand what do they think the drivers are. And we can take that information back to our research group and really start to dig in multiple levels, what's happening at the tumor, the you know, neighborhood levels, the structural levels, and trying to understand what the various drivers are.
1: For so many, it's been more than decades. I I feel like I've been saying this for a long time. and We always hear about health disparities and and health. Now we've moved from health disparities to, you know, healthier outcomes. And it always seems like we, we get the same answer in a sense, or the same assessment that it is about access. It is about also campaigns and awareness you expect to maybe get anything different? Not to, to sound so, you know, like a pessimist. No, but I, I feel you. I, I think the same thing. You know, I've, I've been doing this for a, for a long
3: time now. And um, I think there is a paradigm shift in that we cannot operate in these silos, that we have to be able um, to be collaborative and to integrate, you know, these data and this information together to move beyond just access and insurance in the neighborhood. And I think our data nicely show that, like, that's not it um at least not alone and so um being able to come up with some innovative models and approaches we're just thinking about structural racism for the first time as a potential driver um and i i do think we can we can move past that and begin to to close these disparity gaps at least for breast cancer
1: and again and you know i know sometimes we're professors and researchers like you y'all don't like to get into the policy and the politics of this but at the end of the day, will it probably come down to policy and in this this nation's overall public health policy that exist?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not afraid to say it. You know, for some of the issues that we're thinking about, they are structural issues. And no matter what we do from you know an individual hospital level or a community level, they're they structural issues that need structural solutions. Um and what we hope is that if by generating the data, there's enough evidence that they can no longer ignore it um and that there will be policy changes at the local state and federal levels.
1: I've asked this question before uh, the last twenty some months here it's about how this pandemic we know it has that amplified or highlighted already existing existing disparities you know you 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 pick a condition and there it is. But what is your hope that comes out of this pandemic in terms of as it relates to your research with breast cancer that? perhaps will be more revealing and and easier for folks to understand that if we're not, if we haven't done this pre pandemic, we got to do it now.
3: Right. Um, yeah, the pandemic has, you know, been challenging in so many ways, but I think it has also, um, allowed us to see the magnitude of this problem that we call healthcare disparities. Um, you know, if I had said I was doing this redlining project in 2018, when it got started, people would say, well, what does that have to do with breast cancer? I think because of the pandemic and because of the interest in social justice, people can more easily connect, um, you know, these structural issues with health outcomes. Um, and, and I think that's great because that means funding is going to change the way the way we're funding things. Um, you know, the number of eyes and ears, and just general understanding of the of the problem is going to change, and it's going to change the scope um, in which we can have an impact.
1: Absolutely. In case you don't know, folks, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Want to let you know that the Fulton County Board of Health will offer free breast cancer screenings over a two-day period at two of its regional health centers. Now, you must be at least 40 years or older. The screenings will take place today and tomorrow from 8:30 a.m to 4 p.m. at these following locations Adamsville Regional Health Center that's on MLK and also in College Park the College Park Willie J Freeman Regional Health Center. Dr. Laura McCullough a breast cancer epidemiologist and assistant professor at Emory's Rollins School of Public Health good information thank you so much for taking the time come back and let us know when you get those results. Well Dave thank you so much. look continues now important conversations like the one you just heard with emory professor laura mccullough this is closer look i'm rose scott so if you've been listening this hour you know we're in that cornerstone society match this is where your gift is doubled so check it out if you give 25 dollars it'll be matched with another 25 give 200 yep it'll be matched with 200 so help us out right now if you can we're trying to do what we can while we can i'm joined by our director of on-air fundraising, Reggie Hicks. And, Reggie, I don't know about you, but I know I've lost friends and family members to breast cancer, conversations like the one we just had. So important, not just for me, the entire community. That's what we do here.
2: Yeah, Rose, you know, I was listening to that, and, and right at the end you, you talked about getting um, places where you can go to get screened as a prostate cancer survivor. Uh, I understand how important that is. So, you know, not just to be informative, but also to be helpful. And and that's what you do each and every day. And that's what your investment is when you make that $20 a month or $10 a month contribution as a sustainer uh, to WABE and to invest in Closer Look. Because that's what we are getting. The show, Rose, connects the listener with the community. And then you connect with us by making that investment by giving us a call at six seven eight five five three. 9090 is so important, particularly now we have that cornerstone match. It is a smart financial decision because your contribution is going to be matched one for one up to $3,500. We still have an opportunity for you to join us if you're listening this afternoon or if you happen to be listening to us this evening. The match is still there. We are getting closer, though, Rose. I'm looking at some of the names. I'm going to, you know, give you a little update here in a few minutes. But I'm so we, excited. <laughs> we are getting closer and closer, and you could be the one to really put us over that until so we can get that match. But, again, the important thing for you to do is give us a call at 678-553-9090, and we thank you so much for that.
3: My name is Sue Lee, and I live in Johns Creek. Mm. I remember a long time ago when I was listening to uh, the spring and fall fundraising and people would talk about Cornerstone members. And I used to think, wow, is this like a secret society where I don't know how I can become a Cornerstone member, right? And then I researched and then, and then found out that if you give monthly as little as $100 a month, you can become a Cornerstone member. And I think listening to WADE, it's, it, it's priceless
1: like, oh, that's the least I can do. Uh, thank you so much, Sue. We really appreciate it. You know, one of the best parts of public radio is that it is actually priceless. It really is. So we want everyone to have access to this community resource because it really, really is. And for that reason, you'll never see a paywall from us, but we've still got bills to pay. And the Cornerstone Society is about $3 a day. But you can decide the amount that works best for you. Give what you can. That's what I say. All the gifts working together create the reasons you enjoy W.A.B.E. so much. The hard work that all my colleagues in the W.A.B.E. newsroom and not just in the newsroom, but from our I.T. department to my man, Blake. If you all don't know Blake, shout out to Blake. Blake is (laughs) the man. We can't do nothing in this building without Blake. (laughs) 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 So shout out to Blake. All the gifts working together. We need your support. So please give wabe.org slash donate or by calling 678-553-9090. And thanks. And I'll tell you, Reggie, I was talking to Blake this morning because coffee machine wasn't acting right. And I was like, Blake. I saw
2: him, yeah. Yeah, He's running. He's running right to the rescue help
1: me out buddy what's happening here he's like i got you rose give him a
2: cape he's always super blake (laughs) (laughs) but you know rose it's it is one by one 84 percent of what it takes to bring you closer look and morning edition and atc and all the other programs that you're you've come to expect here on WABE, uh, comes from the Atlanta community. And that is you, 678-553-9090. Remember that we still have the match that is uh, available here, still on the table, thanks to our Cornerstone members. And we, we have had some individuals, we have some listeners now that have joined us as uh, uh, new or, or renewing donors. And we want to thank Janet from Lilburn and Molly from Marietta, Eric and Pat, both from Atlanta, not related, by the way. And <laughs> that's just the name a few that have joined us here on this Cornerstone Match. Uh, if you're listening right now, now's the time for you to make that commitment again. You can sustain us by becoming a sustainer. And you can do that at wabe.org slash donate, or you can give us a call at 678-553-9090. And as always, we thank you.
3: My name is Donna Court, and I live in Marietta, Georgia. When did I become a WABE donor? My brother and my sister-in-law were actually donors before I was. I was listening just as much as they were. I thought, how cheap am I that I'm I can't give at a minimal amount? So that was the first
1: donation. Well thank you so much, Donna, and thank you to your brother and sister in law. All of them now joining as members, and now you too can join as a new member, just like Donna. And every gift matters, whether it's $5 or $500. Believe me, it does matter. We're just glad that you cared enough about this community service, about Closer Look, and all the wonderful programmings here that you choose to support today, especially. No matter when you give or how much. You're always a welcome part of the family of WABE supporters. And together, you know, Reggie, we know that folks are helping make WABE a, what we call a better public radio service
2: for everyone
1: in the Atlanta metro area. So please make your gift now at WABE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you. You know, Reggie, we're coming down to the wire with this cornerstone match. And, And just real quickly before we get out of here, let folks know how they can do this.
2: By giving us a call, 678-553-9090. Of course, you can go to wabe.org slash donate. want to say that if you are a sustainer, you can also upgrade at wabe.org slash upgrade. And remember that Cornerstone Match is still still available, but we're getting closer and closer. So we need to hear from you right now.
1: Absolutely. Again, org slash donate or simply call 678 678- 553-9090, and we'll walk you through the process. That is it for this edition of Closer Look. Remember now, you can catch our rebroadcast tonight at 7 p.m. And as always, we're in a podcast. Subscribe wherever you like because it's free and we'll always be there because it's free. <laughs> Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Ro Scott.